0: Our scripture this morning is found in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. You know, as Christians, we throw the word repentance around a lot. I mean, you know, we, we understand what Peter and Paul said, repent and be baptized. And so we throw that word around. But I wonder if if we ever really get to the kind of repentance that God is calling for through Joel this morning. Because through Joel, God says, I am looking for radical repentance. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. <clears throat> Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there uh, be again after it. To the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, consuming the stubble like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line. Nor do they deviate from their path. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They climb or they run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach. A byword among the nations. Why should they say among, or why should they among the people say, where is their God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And we ask, O God, that as you illumine the heart and mind of, of Joel, when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, that you would illumine our hearts and lives this morning as well. That you would cause us to... Come forth from this place radically repented and ready to do what you called us to do. Father God, we love you with all of our soul. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and in through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we said that Joel was a prophet of, of the day of the Lord. Okay. And, and he is. This notion of the day of the Lord, it is mentioned in the other prophets, but Joel gives it far more attention than any of the other prophets. We also said that Joel was a prophet of Pentecost. Okay, because Peter, in looking at what God was doing, notice what I said, that Peter, looking at what God was doing on Pentecost, said that this is the fulfillment of what God said he was going to do in Joel. Now, listen, beloved. How many of y'all have ever had one of those things where, you know, a test at school? And the very first thing on it, it says, carefully read all of the instructions. First line says, write your name on the upper right-hand corner. Being good kids, we write our name on the uh, upper right-hand corner. And then it tells us to do something else and do something else and do something else and do something else. And finally you get down to the bottom and the last thing says, Ignore every instruction on this page, except writing your name in the upper right hand corner. And now you're embarrassed because you know that even if you did it in pencil and you try to erase it, the teacher's going to know that you didn't follow their instructions, that you you know that you actually you didn't read the paper all the way through. The point that I'm making is that for Peter, a fisherman, To be familiar enough with Joel's book. To be able to look at what God was doing and say, This is the activity of the Holy Spirit that God prophesied through the prophet Joel. Is a pretty amazing thing. He knew his Bible. I have a feeling, listen to me, beloved. I have a feeling then in those 50 days between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, Peter spent some time in the Word. Peter spent some time in the Word and he spent some time in prayer asking God to illumine him because I think he remembered what Jesus had said. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And Peter's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. <coughs> it's like me when God called me to preach, I couldn't name the books of the Bible in order. I could name them. I just couldn't do it in order. I mean, I knew all of the books in the Bible. I just couldn't name them in order. Didn't have them memorized. And I'm going, wait, God, uh, you want me to proclaim the word and yet I don't have the, you know, the, the books of the Bible memorized yet. And the Lord said, well, maybe you need to take care of that. And so at the time I was working in West Knoxville and Uh, I I made myself some little flashcards, and and that's what I did driving to Knoxville and and home. was memorize the books of the Bible. Joel is telling us also that he is a prophet of repentance. And we're going to look at that in, in a few moments. But listen, this message of repentance, we often think that it's a one and done. And in some cases, it is. I mean, when we sing that song, then I repented of my sins. Well, it is true. You repented at the altar of Jesus Christ once and for all. His blood covered every single sin you will ever commit, past, present, or future. But that doesn't mean that we're off the hook that if we do something that is wrong, that that we don't have to repent any longer because we repented back in the past. Joel is a prophet of repentance. And throughout the Bible, we see this message of repentance. John the Baptist, Jesus, both came onto the scene announcing what? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Joel tells us that this day of the Lord is going to unexpectedly strike the entire universe. The day of the Lord refers to a terrifying judgment. Now, this one is a one and done. It is a terrifying judgment when God judges all of the people in the universe and all of the nations in the universe. But we also have to remember, listen to me, beloved. If you hear this morning and you don't know Jesus, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to fall to the judgment of God because God sent Jesus so that we could be redeemed because we know that when Jesus returns, yes, it's going to be a day of judgment for those wicked individuals and wicked nations, but it's going to be a day of deliverance for all of those that know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Now, in this chapter, you know, have you ever tried to speak to someone in metaphors? And it was clear from the look in their eyes that they weren't getting what you were saying? Okay? You know, I told somebody the other day, I, I was over and, and doing some work in school and trying to be polite. I said, I've got to go see a man about a dog. And their eyes were just like, what? Okay? Okay? Joel changes from what he said in chapter 1 about these locusts to begin making it absolutely clear that he's talking about a human army in addition. Now, that doesn't mean that the locusts didn't devastate the land. They did. But Joel wants them to understand. Listen, Joel wants them to understand that the locust invasion wasn't the worst thing to happen to them. That as terrible as it was, it would be minor compared to the northern army's brutality. Joel wants us to know one very sobering fact about God. And that is, God will judge sin. Did you hear what I said? God will judge sin. Now, that judgment either falls upon you because you've never repented and trusted in the price that Jesus paid for your sin, or that judgment falls on the Lord Jesus Christ because that's why he went to the cross, was to pay the price for our sin. In verses 1 through 11, Joe gives us a warning to fear the Lord's wrath. He gives us a warning that this is a God that you should not trifle with. And in verses 12 through 17, he issues a call, an urgent appeal for genuine sorrow and repentance. Now why? Is, is Joel just this preacher that's wound a little bit tight? And there's something in it for him that they just kind of expected him to be this kind of angry prophet that was preaching doom and gloom? No, beloved. Joel preached what he did because God told him that he wanted radical repentance in his people's lives. Why? Because the bridegroom is coming. I said, the bridegroom is coming. Verses 1 through 11. Joel spoke of the judgment that had already arrived in Judah. In other words, it was already there. They had failed to repent, and he begins to describe what's going to happen if that if they don't if they don't repent and if they don't turn back to God, beloved. When we are right with God, we want the day of the Lord. Amen. Listen, if my wife goes to town and she says, "Here's your honeydew list while I'm gone." If I am wise and get that honeydew list done immediately while she's still on her way into town, then I am anxious for her to come back home, right? Because I have done what she asked me to do. But if I have not, then I'm praying there's a train, okay? Or a traffic jam in Mohawk, okay? I wanted to delay her return so that I can do and complete what she told me to do. And listen, beloved, if we are right with God, then we want the day of the Lord to come because in our lives we know that it's not a day of judgment, it is a day of deliverance. God tells Joel to shout instructions to, to his people. They were to blow the trumpet of warning. Everyone had to be warned. Now, in the middle of the day, and, and and they know the religious calendar, okay? So in the middle of the day, that trumpet goes off. I grew up in West Tennessee, and when we had days like Thursday, they had these really cool things called tornado sirens. And they would set those things off, and it would pierce you. I hear one today, and it still gives me goosebumps, and I'm still going. You know, I'm looking around for where that tornado is. Because it's going off at a time I don't expect it to go off. And so these people, listen to me, these people are going about their everyday business. And all of a sudden the priest gets up on the pinnacle of the temple and he blows his shofar and these people are going, what's going on? What's going on? Let me tell you something, beloved. There's a day soon coming. There's a day soon coming when the trump will sound. The Lord will descend with a shout and we will be caught up to meet Him in the air if we have repented and know the Lord Jesus Christ genuinely as our as our Savior. Now, I would hope that this passage shook his office or shook his, his audience. Why? What if they all of a sudden installed a tornado siren in, in Mohawk? Yeah, we're close enough, we'd hear it, okay? We're close enough, we would hear it. Because I remember when they were running the Southern Crescent during the fall, we could hear the whistle on that thing as it went through Mohawk, And that's not near as loud as the tornado siren. These people were just like us. They felt, listen to me, they felt secure in their prosperity and their worship. It's like that Matthew West song. I throw a 20 in the plate, but I never give till it hurts. Okay? Surely God would be satisfied with a 20. I mean, shoot, I'm throwing it in on top of a 10. Okay? Well, that doesn't mean anything. You don't know how much the person that threw the 10 in was able to give. I won't turn this into a message of of tithing. Anyway, these people believed that God had given an unconditional promise to the Southern baptist I mean to Abraham, that the Messiah was going to come through them. And you remember what they said to Jesus? We are sons of Abraham. Deal with it. And Jesus said, you know what? If I wanted to, I'd raise up that rock right there as the son of Abraham. Because at least that inanimate rock knows where it came from. And you don't. Through Joel, God is telling Judah that he is no longer going to tolerate rebellion. He is no longer, in our words, going to tolerate casual Christianity. He said you're either in or you're out. Okay? How many of y'all have ever... Jumped into a, gone to jump into a pool or into the lake and somebody jumped just ahead of you. And when they hit the water, they screamed out, oh, it's cold. And you wanted to stop in midair. Okay? You can't. You can't. You're either in or you're out is what God is saying. I am no longer going to tolerate casual Christianity. Now. When this plague of locusts devastated Judah, you would have thought that Joel would have come along and he just said, hang in there, guys. This will be over pretty soon. Things are bad, but they'll get better. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. But instead, Joel said to them, kids, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. You think that locust invasion was bad? That was just to get you attention. Next comes the judgment. And Joel says this is going to be a day of darkness and gloom. A day of the thickest clouds and the deepest blackness uh, 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 imaginable. It is a picture of utter devastation. We're told in the book of Revelation that people's hearts will melt within them. Revelation 6, 12 through 17 is describing this day in the future. I looked... When he broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. (laughs) And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now listen to me, beloved. We either believe that or we don't. There's nothing in between. You can say that John was non-millennialist, that none of this is literal. You can say that. You'd be what we call around here wrong. John was telling you what God showed him. He is telling you what the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him, and he said this is what's going to happen in that great and terrible day of the Lord that Joel prophesied about. He said that it would be a day of war and that there has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be anything like it again. And obviously, throughout the, the rest of the verses, uh, through verse 11 in that chapter, it says the invasion will be devastating. Nothing is going to escape the fierce, destructive force of the army. It'll be a day of astounding signs in heaven and earth. There'll be earthquakes and catastrophic violent or volcanic eruptions. Eclipses and the stars themselves were blacked out by the power of the Lord. The day of the Lord would be a day of judgment executed by God himself, it tells us in verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army. God warns all of us that the day of the Lord is coming. Because of all the evil and wickedness on earth, the immorality, the lawlessness, and the violence, God's holy wrath will fall upon us. And when it falls, beloved, there will be no escape. Verses 12 through 17. Well, wasn't that just a little ray of sunshine this morning? You're just going, cool, Pastor. That really encouraged me for the coming week. I'm, you know, I'm ready to go out now. You, you just really lifted my soul. What should we do in response to this word? Joel tells us, tells us very clearly. He calls for radical repentance. Listen, beloved, you can fool the preacher. You can come down and you can say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cry these crocodile tears. I'm going to sign you a little form. I'm going to pray this prayer that, that you want me to pray. You can fool the preacher, but you can't fool God. You can't fool God. And God says that's what's been going on in this nation. He says, return to me, verse 12 with all of your heart. And then put some skin in the game with fasting, with weeping and with listen, brother, when's the last time we wept over our own sin? Now we got mad about somebody else's sin. Amen. Can I get a witness? We got mad about somebody else's sin. But when's the last time we wept over our own sin? When is the last time that we got on the altar before Almighty God and said, God, I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be put to death. Now, in this, I want you to understand, God is saying, yes, the locust came. And yes, there is an army that is coming. Verse 13, now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. How many of us look at God that way? When we look at God as some kind of cosmic killjoy that won't let us have any fun. That all of the good stuff, all of the cool stuff is, is, is off limits. That we, you know, that we can't do this. The Bible, even the Old Testament, you, you think, well, that's a New Testament con- uh, concept. No. Joel says God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Well, how do we square that with where it says in the Bible, God never changes his mind? You're looking at this from a human perspective, beloved. You're looking at this from a human perspective. God already knows what they're going to do. God already knows whether they're going to repent or not. And so Joel is speaking from a human perspective so that when God's judgment comes upon them, that they'll be able to say, well, you know that guy Joel, we just thought he was maladjusted. But God warned us. God gave us an opportunity to repent. God gave us an opportunity to turn back from this. But what I need you to understand, listen to me. What I need you to understand is that the opportunity for repentance is limited. It exists for only a short period of time. How many of y'all, your day to death is already carved onto your tombstone? How I many of y'all already have your death certificate in your hand just ready? You know, you can just hold it when you die so that it will save everybody some time and effort. With the cause of death and all of that, none of us do. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when the day of the Lord is going to come. We don't have any guarantee that the day of the Lord is not going to begin tomorrow. The opportunity for repentance is limited. It exists for only a short period of time. God is calling them to a true radical repentance. Repentance. That means a complete change of heart. They must be genuine when they fasted. You know what we do? Hey, buddy, how long have you been fasting? Two hours. (laughs) Amateur. I've been going for 12. I'm not even hungry yet. Not even hungry. God wants us to have genuineness in our hearts. And our tears of weeping and mourning have to be a genuine expression of sorrow over uh, dishonoring God in His Word. Verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, beloved. If we were ancient Jews and we ripped our clothes every time that we committed some horrible sin, how many of y'all would have an empty closet right now? Okay. Amen. God says, rend your heart. God's not interested in the outside. God's not interested in the outside. Jesus said that it's not what you bring into the body that that defiles it. It's what comes out of the body that defiles it. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now, all of this is to be a very private affair, right? that I'm supposed to get, you know, in my private prayer closet and and get over here and and get alone with God and and just, you know, share with Him? Because, listen, we all know real men don't cry, right? Right? Real men do cry, brother. Jesus wept. Jesus wept, and He wept on more than one occasion. He wept over the death of Lazarus and he wept over the city of Jerusalem when he came into it for the last time. Saying, if you'd only known. If you'd only known what I came to bring you. No, beloved. Joel tells them that it needs to be a very public thing. Listen, if I've sinned against you, what good does it do for me to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I sinned against so-and-so. Would you bless him? Would you bless them? You know what God's generally going to say to them? To you? You know what would bless them more? You going to them and saying you're sorry and asking for their forgiveness and showing them that you genuinely repent. Verses 15 through 17 and we're done. God calls for the trumpet to be blown again. Now notice in verse 1, it was to call them and warn them that an invasion was coming. This time, it's to call them and warn them, or or to call them to a fast, a solemn assembly. Every person was to attend and be set apart to God. Beloved, repentance is an absolutely essential uh, part of our lives in order to escape God's coming judgment because true belief translates into obedience and heartfelt obedience trans- or shows belief. One last thing that should have caught our attention, verse 16. Whew, it's a great verse, verse 16. Beloved, Jesus is not just a king. <laughs> Jesus is a betrothed king. Jesus is an engaged king. And soon he will be a married king. His bride is us. And he's coming back for us. He came the first time 2,000 years ago to die for his bride to pay a dowry, as it were, with his own blood. And when he comes back, he will be coming back to marry us and take us, his own church, into the gardens and chambers of his joy forever. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. (coughs) Excuse me. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, "Right, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Oh, beloved, have we made ourselves ready for his coming? Are we clothed in the fine linen that John said, well, actually that Jesus says through John, that we will be clothed in? Are we engaged in radical repentance? And if we're not, what's standing between us and radically repenting? Living the life that God has called us to live.